Book Stew viewers and listeners, there's nothing that gives me as big a thrill as having an author return for another visit to Book Stew. But this time, we've got Lisa Croft Smith, who is here for her third visit, which is great. Her last novel that we discussed was Half Blown Rose, which was actually up on a billboard in Times Square. So now we'll have to see where this next novel goes. And this is Goodbye Earl, a novel of revenge. And this is Lisa Cross Smith. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi, thanks for having me again. So I have Good to ask society. first a question about the title. Now, um, it's not enough that it's Goodbye Earl, which for those of us who are fans of the chicks would recognize immediately as probably their most uh, popular song. But you've got a novel of revenge in here. Was that your idea to add that in? <laughs> I don't think so. I think my I think my editor was like, let's go ahead and put that because on Half Blown Ro Half Blown Rose it says a novel, but with the and the, my other novels it says a novel. But this one, a revenge novel, and it's got the knife on the cover, so we'll make it good and murdery. And almost the little like cherries with blood spots. Uh, yeah, I really right. love the cover. It looks delicious. <laughs> I know you're like a very yellow, sunny person, so I thought um, the cover really suits your personality. Um, so let's talk right away about another sunny aspect of this revenge novel, which is a town called Goldie. Now, Goldie is actually a main character in the book. Mm -hmm. And just like Paris was really in Half Flown Rose. So um, does Goldie come, how much does Goldie come from your imagination versus uh, where you live in Kentucky? Or I didn't say in the novel that it's specifically Kentucky, but it's clearly mm -hmm. a Southern small town. Right, right. Yeah, um, I didn't want to say exactly where it was. Um, so so really with Goldie, when I was beginning to work on the book, I, I, I did want it to feel like a character. So it's a high compliment that you say that. I want it to feel like a character the same way that Stars Hollow feels like a character when you watch Gilmore Girls or um, the way these little towns are just small enough for people to know each other. But then there's also, you don't know everyone. Um, that's what I wanted to, to be in Gabaro when I was writing Goldie. And so um, I live in Louisville, which is a big city, a big fur, sorry biggest city in Kentucky, big city for <laughs> Kentucky, I want to say. <laughs> but not far from here, there's a little town called LaGrange. And I mean, I mean, it's not a tiny, tiny town. There's more than one stop. By. But it's smaller than Louisville. It's it's smaller. Um, and, and I wanted to make sure Goldie wasn't so tiny that you literally couldn't, you know, like there's three people in the town. So I wanted it to be that the girls in the book would know a lot of people in town and people would kind of keep an eye on them, but also they could do some stuff in the dark without everyone in the town knowing that I also needed that too. So um, I want to make sure that the town was character just personally because I love reading books and watching shows where the town is a character of its own. Well, the thing that kind of identified that as a place where you know most everybody, but then there are people you don't know is the fact that it has two high schools. I think as soon as a town has two high schools, right. there's an immediate, <laughs> you know, there's going to immediately going to be a group that you may not know as well. And these Absolutely. wonderful women meet each other in high school and um, they form such a tight group that they call themselves RACK, R-A-C-K, for each of their first names. When you started writing it, did you have four 
uh, main characters in mind and each of them getting to speak in their voice in the novel? Because four seems like a little bit of a hard, a hard right because you've got to keep track of each one of yeah. them and each one has to be distinctive to the right. reader or it's not going to work. Right. Um, yeah. So, so we have Rosemary, Ada, Caro, and Casey Rack, and and yeah, you're exactly right. So that's my main thing is to make sure that the reader doesn't get confused. Now, in the in the beginning, you know, I was raised on the classics. It's the reason I write, and and so many classics you'll read, and you'll get six pages in and be like, wait, who is everyone? <laughs> um, I try to be very careful um, with that in my own book, but also it is a book and I'm, you know, I need the reader to be a little patient while I introduce everyone because it is important to get to know, um, everyone. And hopefully the payoff is, you know, worth it with that. I, I really do. I do a lot of things to try to help the reader along. So I make sure that their names don't start with the same letter or end with the same letters. Um, if I can avoid that, um, Caroline has red hair, bright red hair, hair, and she's tall and she bakes pies. And then, you know, a Rosemary is a hippie and her house is really full of color. And, you know, at one point she has a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Um, Casey is, we start with Casey. Um, um, the, I wouldn't say the book really has a main, main character, but it does begin and end with Casey. So we have Casey. So she's guiding us along the way. And Ada is just like drowning in pink all the time and she's the one who has four boys and and so i really make sure they're different even from their hair color and the words they use um i try my best to do that to make it easy on the reader but we've got to get there i really want the reader to um feel immersed in the world and in the girls so they um so really they'll believe that these girls would want to kill for each other <laughs> oh spoiler spoiler well i guess it says a novel of revenge so the time frame also, oh, and I wanted to mention one thing that made me think of while I was reading it. Do you know the Joni Mitchell song, Ladies of the Canyon? I, not well, I've heard of it. It's, um, it's basically a recitation of her friends who live, they're all women, friends who live near her in Laurel Canyon, you know, this back yeah. in the 70s. And every one of them has something distinctive about them. And she sings okay. it, and she sings what makes them distinctive, but yet they're all a cohesive group. So that really reminded me of that. And the time oh, wow. frame here goes from 2004, jumps back and forth between 2004 and 2019. And I mm -hmm. thought that was all very well done because you, you give us a chance to watch them develop, not only based on the things that happened to them, but also mm -hmm. based on their friendship and how right. critical it is to them. There is no mean girl stuff in here. There might be the occasional, this one gets pissed off at this one, but it's, it's such an amazing friendship. And you start out with Casey, who hasn't been home with good reason for that entire time since they graduated high school. She left immediately, went to New York mm -hmm. for good reason. And I think in a way, her friends have been a little bit floundery without her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so I wanted to make sure I did give her a good enough reason not to come back. And I wanted to make sure they do see each other in that time, but it's just not the same. She hasn't come home to Goldie. And so now she's decided finally, they don't know why, 
but she's decided to come back to Goldie because one of her best friend's little sister is getting married. So she's missed the other births. She's missed their other weddings, but she's back now. So they're all like, we're, we're glad you're back and we love you, but, but why now? What's going on now? And so as the book unfolds, um, the reader learns the secrets that Goldie holds and the secrets that Casey's been keeping you know, to herself for so long, for 15 years. I thought um, one of the parts I enjoyed about the book the most, and this, this was true in Half Blown Rose too, you have characters who are basically in love with two different people. And <laughs> you have two characters here and one in Half Blown Rose. And that to me was an intriguing concept that you didn't seem to have, your characters didn't really seem to have a hard time with it and you as a writer didn't have a hard time with it. It was kind of ideal, I thought, like, you know, for this person in your life who you love, this is how you two nurture each other. And then with mm -hmm. the other person, you have your own ways and you, everyone's aware of everybody. So there's not like competition or jealousy or... or right. So have... So that since that's been in two books, you can almost say that's kind of a theme. How how does that figure into your books, and and when do you start thinking about that part? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just say I just love complicated relationships on the page, on the screen. Um, I don't have them in my you know real life. I've been with the same man for 28 years. My husband and I have been together for 28 years. So um, so it's not something that I experience in real life, but I love it in my art. So I end up putting it in my books. And um, when it comes to Rosemarie, she, she has an off and on, mostly on relationship with her childhood friend, Leo, um, a boy. And then she also has a girlfriend, Esme, um, a filmmaker. And and it was just fun for me to write it, not explain it. They know about each other. You know, it, it wasn't, it's not a big deal to her. It's how she lives her life. It's how the people in her life and closest to her, um, they, they get it, they understand it. It's not, it's not a real mystery. So it wasn't even something I felt like I had to explain on the page. It's just the way she works, you know, in relationships. And then, yeah, in Half Blown Rose, I had a woman who was deciding whether or not she wanted to leave her husband and she meets a young man in Paris. So so that wasn't really her choice. Her husband was not behaving correctly and he basically forced her into falling in love with another man in Paris. Um, that was beyond her control, right? She didn't have anything to do with that. But so, but so it's fun. It is fun for me to write women um, I in situations like that where they're just super independent and people accept them truly for who they are. And um, Casey's two are a boyfriend, actually a fiance, right. in New York, and her old uh, boyfriend in Goldie, Silas. Right. I thought um, the conflict between what's home and what's Silas, and what's in New York where she's very successful, and what's Devon right. was really well done. And there's poor Devon in New York trying to be really um, patient and right. kind, but knowing that there's something <laughs> going on in Goldie. And I thought that was also handled really well. Silas is one of the men where you let us uh, inside of his head. The men are important characters, but they're not the main characters. Uh, there are two right. horrible men and a bunch of good men, which was right. which was really nice, but it really does center on um, on the women rather than 
than the men. The men are, mm -hmm. and, and you know, you've also got parents in here, um, you've got friends in here, and you've got a bakery in here. So let's talk about the town of Goldie and what, if we were to stroll its streets, what would we find? So you definitely would find a lot of, um, so Ada's family owns so much of Goldie and they own so many shops in the town square. And so her name is Ada Plum. So it's Plum Bakery, Plum Eats is the restaurant. Um, there's Plum Interior Design, Plum Florals. So you'd see a whole lot of that. Um, and then there's another um, family in town called the Foxberries and they own the distillery and the other half of Goldie really. And so um, I love driving through a cute little town I've never been to before or one that we frequent um, and seeing the little town squares and seeing just how, you know, people live in different places all over the world. And it always interests me, a little post office and, you know, the school there, whether they have one or two and the little coffee shops and the train track that goes through the middle of the town. Like, I just think that stuff is so cute. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that Goldie had all of that. Um, and then, so Caroline works at the bakery and she just loves to bake pies. And I love thinking about baking as therapy. And I love the idea that when things were like rough for her or when she was just, you know, wanted to feel better about the world. I think that's the exact word I use in the book, um, that she gets in the kitchen and has sugar in the air. Um, and that makes her feel better, like things can be okay with that. And I just love the comfort of a little bakery. Same people, regulars every morning are stopping by when you're going to visit the town for the first time. That, that stuff is just so cozy and cute to me, and I love to put cozy, cute things in my books. <laughs> well, I think now being here in New England, we have the same type of small town and small town centers or squares, but ours tend to be dominated by churches. And I'm not saying, of course, there isn't a church on every corner down south, because there is, but it's right. kind of a different kind of austerity in that, okay. you know, everything starts with the church, and then you can have other stuff, but no matter where you are in town, that big steeple is going to be mm -hmm. there, and it's the reminder of, you know, how New England was settled, really, you know, for oh, you yeah. know, people who wanted to... Uh, get away from what they felt was religious persecution. And there's not a lot of softness in New England downtowns, I don't find. There's a lot okay. of, of history and memories, but your description of Goldie, well, I told you that before we went on air that I had to go out and get an eclair in the middle of reading the book because the, the luscious dessert descriptions were overwhelming especially the <laughs> cupcakes and the frosting and what they look like. Because, you know, this is a wedding and there's a lot of baking that has to be done. And, right. you know, there's always, um, someone's always carrying a box of cupcakes somewhere. So I went <laughs> out and I had an eclair because I didn't want to deal with having a cupcake that didn't measure up to the plum <laughs> standards and the goldie <laughs> standards. So um, I would suggest that um, diabetic people just take take the book with a little bit of caution because it's just, when you describe the smell of the baking and when you described it was, um, was it Ada or Rosemary who did all the experimenting with the pies? Oh, it's Carol. Oh, sure. I'm sorry, that yeah, was Carol. So, you know, yeah. she describes this, the place where she's trying to make different flavors of pies and different toppings. And there's these two old men that you describe <laughs> 
like the two old men who criticize everything from the balcony and the muppet show <laughs> and they kind of wait there every afternoon and they're the ones that she tries everything out on right. and there's just this one scene where i think she was trying to put ginger in or something that didn't quite right. work and this old man who just basically lives to test pies throws an aside at her that has to do with a specific ingredient <laughs> on his way yeah. out the door and she's like right. ah that's it so <laughs> that whole atmosphere was so lovely and homey and comforting i just i just loved it i thought that was great it's, but you have a way i think of creating beautiful sentences i was thinking about whether I should ask you to do a reading for this book or not. I think because of the structure with the four girls, it would, would have been a little bit hard to plunk the reader in mm -hmm. the middle of the four girls without knowing them at all. But I'm just going to read three sentences that you wrote that I loved so much um, that are one of the things. So when I read your books, I tend to have sticky notes all over them that. because I've always, there's always a great sentence. So uh, this is actually on the first page. The old used car lot was now a family-style Mexican restaurant. This is Casey coming back after having been away for 15 years. The gas station where she and her girlfriend stopped to get slushies after school got turned into a fancy new gas station with more pumps and glowing bulbs hanging overhead than the one before. It was lit up like a fish tank as Casey drove past. Okay, so whoever thinks of gas stations being lit up like a fish tank? So this just, you know, you know the um, aquariums that you sometimes see in Chinese restaurants? This mm -hmm. made me think of driving by a gas station and being reminded of a fish tank. I thought that I was that. such a great uh, description. And the next one is a phone call that Casey's on with her fiancé, Devin, in New York. And she says, Devin meant well. She was sure he could hear her loud facial expressions over the phone. He told her plenty of times that her face could use a volume button. <laughs> That's all me right there. I took that straight from my own life. Yeah, I have a very loud face. But have you ever, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to picture your, I mean, there are things husbands say and there are things and kids say and things they won't. And that probably came right out of <laughs> what someone was thinking about you one day, but maybe didn't dare to tell you. I just, I love that. I think that's great. <laughs> and the last one is, um, this is Ada. And they are, the girls are sitting at Ada's house where there's a pool. And it says, um, Ada's, uh, through the tall glass door, Ada watched her best friends sitting on the edge of the pool now, their bare feet flicking like fins. So there's another thing that you don't necessarily think of when you're watching people in a pool. But, you know, as soon as you said it, I'm like, that is it. That's, that's just what it looks like when people are sitting on the edge of a pool. But, you know, anybody else might have said, and so she was watching her friends while they, you know, they dipped their feet in the pool. But I don't know. I just, I would love to know how these, how these descriptions come to you. Like, do you, uh, do they have to be worked on or do they just pop out? 
Um, well, first, thank you so much for reading those and thanks for your kindness. I, I, um, both, sometimes really some of them come to me and I don't even think about it. And sometimes I will work harder if I feel like something's not working. I, I try not to force it. Um, the gas station looking like a fish tank just looks like that to me. So that's easy. <laughs> it just reminds me, it just reminds me of that. Like a lot of those will just be easy because it's what, how my brain works. And then some other times I will take more time for sure to, to try to make sure that I get that I get it just right. And I don't want to overwhelm the reader, of course, but I really love writing. That sounds like writing. Um, so I love hearing that it may not be something that a reader thinks of, but they thought of it in a new way or a different way because of something I've written. I mean, that's why I write. Um, that's why I do. Um, I just love the art of writing for those things specifically. Well, let's talk about the art of writing a little bit because um, you know, I always go to you, before I, I chat with you, I always go to your website to see what you're into because you have this insanely amazing list of everything you're enjoying um, at that particular yeah. time, <laughs> music, and this is how we found out last time that you're really into BTS, the Korean K-pop boys group, to the extent that you have been to Korea and you are learning right. <laughs> uh, Korean, which, you know, I know there are things we talked about that you love, but I think this is really like, is it bad to say an obsession? I mean, a good obsession? <laughs> I do I do love it a lot. I'm, I'm fine with you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't make me feel bad for you to say that. Feels true. <laughs> um, have any of your, do you know if, if any of your books have been translated into Korean? Um, they haven't yet, but I hope so. It's definitely a dream of mine. Um, and my dream would be to actually be able to read it in Korean. <laughs> and that's, <One> day. <laughs> that's That would be amazing. Um, yeah. So the audio version is out already, is that true? Do you ever have anything to do with um, helping to choose the reader? Is that strictly up to the, the publisher? Oh, no, I do. I get to do the casting, which is awesome. It's amazing. So this time around, we have a full cast, and I've called back several um, narrators who have read on my other, who have voiced my other books before. So it's really exciting to get some of those narrators back. And I just finished listening to it yesterday. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's so amazing to listen to these things come to life um, and to listen to these women um, bring um, the characters to lie. It just feels like such a gift. So and there's one gentleman on there too. So, um, Oh, he reads all the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> um, so, well, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a section, there's a section in the book where I needed a man to read a couple things. So, um, so it was a real treat to be able to, to be able to listen to that. And I just love audiobooks. It's a, audiobooks are a totally different thing. It, I, I definitely 100% think that they are reading. Um, when people ask, is an audiobook reading? Of course it is to me, but the experience of listening while you're in the car is so different than the experience of actually um, reading on the page. And when I love a book, I do end up reading it. And then I like to listen to the audiobook too. So do you usually listen for, I, this is the same question about movies and books. Do you listen first and then read, read first and then listen? Um, it, it really just depends. I usually like to, I, I think I usually read first and then I listen. I think it makes me feel more rooted in the story if I, if I read it first, but there have been several books I just listen to the audiobooks and I don't end up reading ever either. How about books and movies? What's your general take on those? Book first, movie first? 
It, it really just depends. Like, for example, Dune, I watched that over Christmas and I didn't know whether I'd like it or not because I'm not, I don't really watch or read a lot of science fiction, but, but I watched Dune and it, watching the movie made me want to read the book. So a lot of times it's backwards. I'm not really snobby about that. I don't feel like you have to read the book first. Uh, the movie can be a totally different thing and that's okay. For me, it's okay. No one wants their favorite story ruined, I know, but for me, that's okay. So a lot of times I just do that backwards. I'm not, I'm not really precious about those sorts of things. Um, so also on your website, when I look back at um, what you've written and had published, I did never realized how many short stories you had written. I read one collection, So We Can Glow, which I loved. Um, Thank you. How do you consider yourself how do you consider yourself? Are you a novelist or are you a short story writer? Are you both? Where do short stories, I've been taking a short, uh, how to read a short story class with a wonderful instructor for the last four years and I mm -hmm. feel like I'm now a much better short story reader than I ever was and more eager to read them. How do you feel about both of those? Yeah, that's awesome, the short story class. I, I really so i mean i if someone said i'm a novelist i agree a short story writer i agree a writer i agree um I, I have a lot of different bios on my page so that press can come and you know use whatever ones they want i have a long one i have a short one my short my longest one has you know all the stuff my shortest one is lisa cross smith is an artist and a woman of letters that's the that's the way i think of it um I, if someone just said she's an artist I'm, I'm fine with that too because i do feel like i'm an artist with with a lot of things and, and I think that applies to writing as well. Um, I, I don't really care about the particulars because I've always written novels and short stories. So um, so that distinction isn't important to me the same way I love to read short stories and novels, but, um, but I'm okay with people calling me a novelist right now because I have novels out and novels are easier for me to talk about because people understand novels more than they do short stories. So it oh, makes it easier for me. That's yeah. interesting, did you? When when you were just doing short stories before your first novel, were you interviewed by anybody about your short stories? It's hard because, you know, there's a collection, there's probably at least, you know, usually 15 to 25 short stories in a collection, and it's very hard to kind of isolate one or two, even though it's, mm -hmm. it's easy to say you like this one best or it's not, right. you didn't like that one best, but the formats are so different. Short stories have to be so perfectly concise. Mm -hmm. There's so little room to make mistakes, to put extra in. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I feel like I've talked about my short stories so much before I had novels out. Yeah. And, and I, you know, even in between novels, I, I did another podcast of, about flash fiction, which is really short um, fiction shorter than a thousand words and so I still you know that's where I cut my teeth really so I still dip in whenever I can or wherever I'm asked into the short story community too because I just love short stories I love writing them I wrote I've written hundreds and while I was waiting to see if I can get my novels published I mean that's what I did I wrote hundreds hundreds literally hundreds of short stories so that's so um, what's what's coming out next are you taking that rest you have been telling everyone that you were going to take a break, three novels, yeah. <laughs> three years. What's next for you? 
Yeah, um, we'll see. Dot dot dot. I'm definitely taking a break. I'm not going to have a book out next summer. Um, and so it'll be the first. Day. Yeah, I've didn't. I've done four books in four years. So, and I've done six books since 2014. So I am taking a break right now, and it's lovely. I'm just watching Bachelor in Paradise with my daughter. <laughs> um, one more question for you. Uh, how do you how do you deal with reviews? So there's you know, reviews in, that are in the Sunday New York Times and there are reviews that are on Goodreads and library thing. Um, how, do you read them? Uh, do you ever like take them to heart? Do, do any of them stab you in the heart? How do you handle reviews? Um, so most importantly, I wait for my publicist to send me the things I need to see. The rest of it really is just, it is not my business. Um, what a reader thinks about my book um, is not my business. That's how I look at it. Now, in all honesty, so when my book is first put on Goodreads and it has maybe one, two, or three, maybe max five reviews um, at the very beginning, I would maybe just see what that number is, um, see what, you know, the number of reviews, the number of stars, but I'm not reading word for word what they're saying about the book, um, good or bad, because it's not my business at that point. Um, I I don't know why I'd want to do that. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know why I'd want to do that to myself. It really doesn't matter. I also don't want to be influenced by anything anyone says, really. I have to keep myself um, separate from that whole world. And one thing I do make sure to do to protect myself is I'm, I'm, no one can tag me in anything on Instagram. Um, so no one can say, wow, I really didn't love this book by me. And then it would come right to me. Um, I make sure I made the mistake of having that open in the past. And a lot of readers actually, whether they know it or not, I don't know their hearts, they will tag authors in their reviews to talk about how much they don't like it. Um, I protect my own mental health by doing things like that. So I'm not seeing it. I would have to actively go looking for a bad review of mine. Um, I love myself too much to do that. So it's not <laughs> hard for me not to do that. <laughs> I think that really makes a lot of, that's a very common sense way of dealing with it. because. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a difference between 20, 15 years ago when, you know, sure. if you were lucky, you got a review in a, in a magazine or in a newspaper. And now there's just such proliferation. I hope you get a break, as much of a break as you want to take from social media as well when you're resting, because yes. <laughs> um, that would be total relaxation to be able to ignore that. All right, Lisa, our time's up. So thanks again so much for writing this wonderful novel, for coming back to Book Stew. I, I really hope you enjoy your rest and relaxation, your R&R, but I hope you'll come back the next time um, you, you go back and novels or short stories, no matter what it is, um, I'll be reading it and sharing it, hopefully with my readers and listeners. Thanks so much for coming on with me today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Bookstu viewers and listeners, um, I hope you enjoyed meeting Lisa again, some of you for the third time, I hope, and I know you will seek out the wonderful revenge novel, Goodbye Earl. Have a good night.